I started writing about like our teacher, Carrie Madden is amazing. Um, and she kind of like pulled that stuff out of us. And she pulled out, like, I didn't realize that I, like, hated that part of, like, my childhood and my family until I started writing about it and I realized it. And then I came to terms with it. And I was like, that's part of me. I can't pretend like that's not how I grew up. And so I think it made me way more self-aware. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to We're Always in Retrograde. Uh, I'm your host, Michelle. And today I have a really special guest. Um... So this guest and I have been friends for a very long time, um, and I don't mean a few years when I say a very long time, I mean since the seventh grade, which we all know is a wonderful time full of cringy Instagram bios, um, very interesting middle school adventures, um, etc. cetera. Um, and we actually met very interestingly at a school in Montgomery, Alabama, which was a magnet school actually and we met within this program that was particularly geared towards students who were interested in the arts um we both did creative writing and we both did visual arts which is something that was really cool um and that's how we met so i am super excited to have her here on the podcast today and i'm gonna let her go ahead and introduce herself hi my name is martha kendall my last name is custard <laughs> I always forget to say it because, you know, I go by two names. But um, yeah, my pronouns are she, her. And I am very excited to join Michelle on this podcast. So nice to talk to her after so long. Love her. Yes, um, I'm super excited to be talking to you too. It's kind of interesting that we have kept in contact like over the years, um, the the number of years that we've known each other. Um, <laughs> but we've never really like sat down and talked about these topics that we're going to dive into today. Um, yeah. So I'm really excited to do that. Um, and kind of like I previously mentioned, Martha Kendall and I did meet sort of, be, I would say um, the root of it was our mutual interest in the arts and in writing. Um, and when we went to college, we both pursued different paths, I would say. Um, and so I really want to ask, you know, talking about your interest in writing, because that's something that you're still doing and you're pursuing as a career. Um, when did you first realize that you were interested in that field? So, I mean, I guess like when I first realized that I liked to write and that it was something that like I wanted to do like a lot more than the average person was probably in second grade. I don't know if all schools are the same, but at my school, we had these assignments where you would like draw an illustration and then write a story and um, the teacher would laminate all the pages together and hang it on the wall in the hallway. And so all of the other students' pages kind of reached like halfway point on the wall. Mine went down to the floor because I just had a lot to say. And so I think that's when I realized that like I really wanted to write. But then over the years, like, like I know in middle school, we wrote a lot in class, but then in high school, like I kind of got off my mind I wasn't writing as much. It wasn't as much of a focus. And then when I went to college, my boyfriend is Bengali and he's very of the Bengali mindset of like doctor, lawyer, engineer or nothing else. And so he kind of like convinced me. I actually started as a neuroscience major in college and I did a whole year of it. And I didn't really think of like writing as a career at that point. Like it just wasn't even on my mind as a possibility especially since like if you want to just write books full-time like novels and stuff you, you can't really do that like you have to teach I didn't want to teach 
And I didn't really explore any of the other possibilities until I was in my, at the, the second semester of my freshman year. And the honors program I was in at UAB was very interdisciplinary. And I had the option to take a seminar for, it was um, writing a young adult novel. And when I took that class, it was a night class and I would be like so excited all day to go to class. I was like, wait, I forgot. I liked school. <laughs> I was like hating school the entire time. I was like, why am I so miserable? Like, and then I go to this class and I'm so happy. And I was like, I don't want to be a, like, I would like love to help people as a doctor, but like, I don't want to be a doctor. I never wanted to be a doctor. And I kind of just like woke up and I was like, what am I doing? And so then I was like, I'm gonna just see over the summer if I can figure out a way to like make this work as a career and not be broke. And so that's what I did. And I started freelance writing on the side. So I was copywriting for this person who makes websites and um, he was paying me terribly, but I didn't know at the time. And so I was writing like 50,000 words a week trying to like pay my bills, but I made it work. And then I figured out a way to do it where you're not like struggling, like where you're doing better. And then I changed my major and decided to pursue writing. And here we are. I love that. And I, I think that it's so cool how taking that class was kind of happenstance, but it really solidified what you wanted to do. I feel like it's probably honestly because of the societal pressure to make a decision of what you want to do when you're in high school, but um, or even younger, mm-hmm. honestly. But I, I think that like once you go to college, if you have the opportunity to explore your interests, I think that that can be so powerful. Um, I feel like we get very tunnel visioned easily and it's hard to Mm -hmm. kind of look around and see exactly what you want. Um, I actually added a second major my junior year of college and I feel like that is, it's not like crazy. Like I'm like, oh my gosh. Um, But (laughs) but I definitely realized that I had interests outside of just my major and that I was interested because I majored in neuroscience first um, and I realized that I had interests outside of my major so I added nutrition because um, I just got really into like lifting and um, learning about what goes into your body and then I realized in this kind of epiphany serendipitous moment that the two majors had some overlap in terms of courses so I could still graduate on time Um, but I could add it and finish with two, which I thought was really, really awesome. Um, And I don't know how you feel about accomplishment culture at the school that you went to, um, but I think that that is very much a reality at my undergraduate university, which I think is a very easy thing to fall into and is not healthy. Um, But how do you think that sort of culture is at UAB where you went? Yeah, so at UAB, I was very like, in this like small portion of the school like UHP my honors program um and it's interdisciplinary so anybody can join like they have the sci-tech the science honors program but a lot of the neuroscience majors are in UHP and I think that's because like the head of the program is a neuroscientist Mike Sloan shout out to him but um he um the program is just very geared towards like, like there it's mostly science kids. It's mostly like people who are going to be doctors. They don't have a lot of people like me, English majors, but um, so yeah, it was kind of hard me and like the couple other English majors and like social justice majors. Like we were all kind of like gearing together and like just sticking together because 
it, there weren't a lot of us and they were like we were kind of looked down on because we weren't like pursuing a real career you know but um it was it wasn't bad it I'd say LAMP the high school in Montgomery was a lot more um competitive and like in a toxic way than UAB was but I have heard some people um say that UAB was pretty bad but I I didn't feel it I didn't feel it and I also I think I just like stopped caring I think especially like in high school when I like switched schools because you know like the drama that was going on like with my mom and my boyfriend I switched schools and like everybody in the new school knew exactly why I was there and so I kind of just stopped caring about what other people thought so when I wanted to change my major I wasn't really nervous about anybody like thinking that I wasn't doing something that was like real academics I just was thinking about what was best for me but I did ask the English professor in the honors program what he thought about it because I thought he could give me some guidance into like how to make money as an English major. And he told me, <laughs> you asked me, you're dating that Rubio guy, aren't you? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, he's gonna be a doctor, right? And I was like, yeah. And he was like, do you see that working out? And I was like, yeah, I guess. And he was like, so why does it matter? That was really bad. <laughs> that was the point where I was like, I don't really know about this professor, but yeah. That's uh, uh, um yeah that is a very not helpful answer to that question yeah it was so bad and he was saying it at the scholarship reception in front of all these donors and I was like you're this is embarrassing but um yeah that kind of and it was at the end it was before I decided to change my major and I took a step back and I was like damn like if he's not very encouraging like does he think that I won't make any money as an English major like if I pursue writing but then I just figured it out on my own. Like, I didn't need his help, so it was fine. Yeah, something interesting that you, you touched on was this concept, I think, that people have that humanities or, you know, literature, et cetera, is not a career. Um, that it's, I guess, more of a hobby or something that you like to do. Um, and also that it's easier than science, which I honestly don't <laughs> find to be true. I feel like a, everything is hard in its own way, of course. That's just objective. But I also think that there's sort of a misconception that you're just floating through classes, whatever, having ball yeah. at a time. But the, the truth is, like, a lot of it is, I feel, like, very innovative. Like, even you talked about, like, trying out freelancing, eventually figuring out what worked for you, adapting, etc. Um, and I feel like people who are in humanities fields often are doing that, often are putting themselves out there, applying for things, are adapting in order to create their own business, um, joining firms, applying for internships. So I think that that is a, a misconception that has been perpetuated for a, quite a long time and probably has been exacerbated as I think society moves toward a more STEM focused environment. Um, and I'm definitely not hating on STEM. Like I love science. Um, and, <laughs> and I'm very excited to be a doctor. I don't think um, I couldn't necessarily envision myself doing anything else. But I, I've seen that uh, as a consistent trend. And I feel like that is just incorrect. Yeah, I feel like um, I feel like it could be correct. I feel like if you have the type of personality where you're not like trying to like like, there are some people who go until, like, midway through senior year of high school and you're apologizing, applying to colleges and you still haven't taken the ACT. Like, they're not proactive. Like, they're not doing what they need to be doing to get to reach their goals. And so if you're, in, you're, if you're an English major and you're not, 
figuring out what direction you want to go in, you're not like applying to internships, you're not like doing all these extra things, then yeah, you'll get to graduation. And like, what do you do? You won't know what to do because you didn't try. So I guess in like a neuroscience major, it could the same thing could happen if you're not doing research, if you're not like actively trying to do things to help you achieve your goals, then like you'll be in the same boat. So I feel like it's kind of the same, but I feel like maybe in STEM, like, you know, you need to do research. Like, you know, you need to do pre-med classes if you're going to be a doctor. Maybe it's just like a little bit less obvious in the English field, like what you need to be doing to achieve your goals and like which goals those are. That's a very solid point. Yeah, I think that, again, it's the individual and what you do with it. So I definitely agree with that. Um, And so what do you think that you've found, I think, in writing that you wouldn't have found necessarily in neuroscience or another occupational path? I I was talking to some of my friends from like like we did our honors thesis together um and we were all like writing like I was doing a middle grade novel and like this other girl was doing a YA novel and then the third one was doing creative nonfiction so it was like very diverse in that aspect but we were talking about like the mood you get in when you're you go outside and like you start noticing things and like you're like everything is like more meaningful like you're not just like floating through like if you're going on a walk you're not just walking down the street like you're noticing like the lady who's like bending over to open her mailbox like you're just like taking in all these things and so I think like if I'm writing consistently and if I'm reading consistently like I stay in that mode and I'm like like I'll be with my family and I'll hear things and I'll be like oh like that's really good I need to write that down for later and I'll write it down but if I'm not consistently writing then I won't pick up on those things and I'll just like miss out on all these things that are happening around me So I think it makes me more present kind of, but then also I feel like um, more self-aware because even just in middle school when we were writing creative writing classes, we were writing short stories about assassins and stuff like that, you know, we were having fun. But when I got into like college and I was taking creative nonfiction classes specifically, I started really writing about like my childhood and like piecing together things. And like, I feel like for a while, like, as you know, my family is very racist. Let's not beat around the bush, but like, there are a lot of things that, and I like, I like, and like what they, like they were very negative towards my boyfriend and like our relationship in high school. And I kind of associated all the little bits of like that southern culture family like all the little things like their nuances with racism and with everything they did to me I hated it I didn't want any part of it and I didn't want to think about it I didn't want to recognize it but when I got into creative nonfiction classes and I started writing and I started writing about like our teacher Carrie Madden is amazing um and she kind of like pulled that stuff out of us And she pulled out, like, I didn't realize that I, like, hated that part of, like, my childhood and my family until I started writing about it and I realized it. And then I came to terms with it. And I was like, that's part of me. I can't pretend like that's not how I grew up. And so I think it made me way more self-aware. So that was really awesome. That was, like, a really good class that I took, like, personal growth-wise. That is so crazy. I feel like... Um, it's interesting that you say that because I'm not necessarily sure if I've had 
a similar transformative experience. Um, <laughs> but that is very, very, very cool. Um, I think that writing does have a, a unique way of making us very introspective. <laughs> so <laughs> that is um, really, really cool to hear that you had such an amazing teacher that kind of led you down this path of self-discovery and also self-acceptance. Um, and it, we've kind of touched on it a little bit, I guess, throughout this episode so far. But you mentioned, you know, your boyfriend is Bengali, Rubio. Um, he's been around forever, too. Um, so yeah. <laughs> what, um, you know, because you are, um, you guys are both intending to get married in the future. I was trying to think of a different way to put it, but that's just the fact. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> what, um how does he differ from what you pictured or who you pictured that you were going to marry when you were younger? Because you kind of mentioned your upbringing and stuff like that. Um, how has that image shifted over time? So when I saw that you wanted to ask this question, I was so surprised because the other day I was writing, I was like, what am I going to write about today? Like, what am I going to write? Cause I was trying to like keep writing like creatively, not just writing all these stupid articles for my job. And I was writing about like, what did I think of love as a kid? And I was racking my brain for like an hour trying to think like, did I have a picture of like what I thought love was? Like I didn't plan my wedding as a kid. Like you see in the movies, that they open the box and they pull out like all the little scrapbook pieces. I didn't do that. I didn't, I remember one time I told my mom I wanted to marry my dad, but I was very young. <laughs> and <laughs> that doesn't really accurately describe that. I don't know. And I, I came up with the conclusion that, like, I don't know if I even thought about it. I don't know if I ever thought about who I would end up marrying until, like, I guess until I started dating Rubio. Or his name is Rubiet. It's so confusing. Like, he go, went by Rubio when I started dating him, but he doesn't go by that anymore. So I say that when I'm talking to people who, who like, still know him as that, but it's not his name. So I feel like I should just say that so he doesn't go, like, nameless in the podcast but um I don't think I thought about marriage until then because I don't I had I dated one person before I dated Rubit and I um think I honestly was like in that relationship because I was afraid to make friends in high school and like I needed a safety net but um they were obviously the type of person who was going to stay in Montgomery forever and also their family was probably really similar to my family in the sense that like, I'm, I mean, I don't know them very well, but I would assume they might be a little like racist. And um, I just didn't think about like, I didn't, I wasn't consciously thinking about uh, the future at that time. And then I think, <laughs> I don't think you even know this, but so in middle school, I, um, faked a southern accent because <laughs> because when I was growing up like when I was really young my family would make fun of me because they said I sounded like a Yankee and I got really insecure about it and I thought like my dad wouldn't like me if I didn't like have a southern accent and so I started faking it and listening to country music so that he would like me more <laughs> and um so that identity was like like my ex-boyfriend he only like knew that identity like the relationship was solely based on that identity and then there was this moment when um i was taking a chinese oral exam and i was faking the southern accent 
And my teacher was like, he called me Barbie. He was like, Barbie, the Southern accent is cute and all, but like now really isn't the time. And I was just chilled to my core. I was so embarrassed. And I was like, he knows it's fake. Who else knows it's fake? Why am I doing this? And I literally had like an identity crisis. I was like, what am I doing? Like, this isn't who I am. (laughs) So I stopped faking the Southern accent. I stopped listening to country music. I broke up with my boyfriend. And I thought about, I don't want to be in Montgomery for the rest of my life. That's not what I want. And so I think that's the moment when I really thought about marriage. It's like, I don't want to marry somebody who um, is not going to like go anywhere in life. So, yeah. That's revolutionary. I don't think I ever, yeah. <laughs> wait, wait, what do you say? That's a revolutionary. I feel like you keep bringing up revolutionary moments, which I love. I love <laughs> that people can look back at moments and be like, that's that's the moment. Like, that's the moment when it all changed. Also, Martha Kendall's cat just walked across the screen, so I got to get a shout out to the cat. I know. <laughs> I'm, like, really trying not to let her into the Zoom, but, like, it might happen. Verbena, please don't hurt our podcast. Oh, my gosh. But, yeah. Yeah, that was the moment, the the Chinese exam. I'll never forget it. I don't even want to give the teacher that much credit for, like, changing my life. But, like, you embarrassed me so much that I turned it around. That's that's so crazy. Um, And, yes, I did definitely did not know that you were faking the accent. because Yeah, I'm like, oh, I sound like it when I'm nervous. No, I sound like it when I'm concentrating really hard and, like, trying to sound like it. But then it did become kind of subconscious. Because I don't think I would have actively, like, tried to sound like that in front of, like, only my Chinese teacher during an oral exam. Like, how dumb is that? If you're trying to correctly pronounce things in Chinese, you can't have a Southern (laughs) accent. So it was just, it was ridiculous. So I think, like, at that moment, I was, like, I think I was trying to, like, conform to what my parents expected me to be. But I had never really been like that. And, um... So I let go of that at that point. And maybe that like opened me up to having like a relationship that didn't look like the one that my parents might expect of me. So maybe that's what opened the door. Oh, yeah, I'm sure that your parents loved your first relationship when I'm reflecting upon it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, it's- no problem. There. <laughs> um, and so I guess generally, how has your experience in a biracial relationship been? So, been a little dramatic, but mostly because of our families. I don't think, I mean, there are some, a couple things right off the top of my head that I can think of that, like, affect our relationship because of the um, cultural differences, which one is, like, I'm super emotional. I'm always, like, talking about emotions. So he's like, I'm from a third world country. We don't have time to talk about emotions. <laughs> So, like, that's one thing. And um, he's like, you just don't know how, like, it is to be from a third world country. Like, we don't have time to think about, like, how lonely we are. Like, you're not lonely. Like, his just, like, that, like, communication aspect is, like, kind of hard. But then also, like, something funny that happened the other day is, like, I cook Bengali food, like, every day. But I try to make it a little healthier because we don't all need to be eating, like, three cups of oil (laughs) every day. And so I've been trying to use way less oil in the food. And I was making this thing. It's like called olubaji. It's basically like fried potatoes. And he comes in and he's like, you didn't put enough oil. And I'm like, I did put enough oil. Look, there's oil. And he takes the oil decanter and removes the top and just pours oil, like, like at least a full cup of oil. And it was just like, 
so slimy <laughs> with oil because he's like no this is Bengali food you have to put oil and so that's another thing like those little bitty things here and there but the main um struggles have been like my parents were not open to it at all and I didn't expect it at all because my mom growing up she called herself a Christian Jabudist like she was very hippie and I when I told her I was dating her bad I didn't even and she I didn't think I was asking for permission. I had never asked for permission to date my previous boyfriend. And so when she said, no, you can't date him, I was like, wait, what? I wasn't asking permission. I didn't know that was how we were. Like, I thought I was confiding in my mom. And um, then she launched into talking about how I wouldn't be invited to this debutante balls and I would be blackballed by sororities, which neither of those things were what I was interested in anyways. But then she was talking about how her friends would react and like people would talk. And it got worse and worse. When she found out he's Muslim, she started calling him a terrorist. I became a terrorist by association. Like it just really spiraled to the point where she was trying to have him arrested and have his family deported. Like it really got out of control. But I got it under control in about a year, which is like, you'd be surprised that it was like so crazy. And then all of a sudden it was over, but it was because my mom was taking me to this therapist because I there was something wrong with me because I was dating a Bengali guy. And um, she saw the situation for what it was. And instead of um, like asking me questions and solving my problems, she would, my mom would complain for an hour. My mom would leave the room and the therapist would look at me and be like, okay, what do you want me to tell her? What do you want? And then I would say, get her to let him over to the house for 15 minutes. And we did that. And then step by step, that's how we got out of that. And now my family is either completely okay with him or they would never say otherwise. But once that problem was over, we had the problem with his family, which while it wasn't as dramatic, it was much bigger because his parents, not only did they never expect him to um, like marry somebody from America, like a white girl, a Christian girl, they also don't even understand the concept of dating. Because dating just, I mean, now in Bangladesh, I think it's more popular. But when they were there and when they were growing up and getting married, it just wasn't a concept. And so that's really hard for them to grasp. And they kind of just ignored it. So that was fine while they were ignoring it. But the Bengali community in Montgomery is very gossipy. And so people would see us or people from like our school would see us at school and they would tell their parents and their parents would go up to my boyfriend's mom, like at the masjid and be like, your girl, I mean, your son is like with the white girl. What are you doing? Like, you just really shame her. And um, so that was really hard. And it still is because I'm sure it still happens. But um, so what made it hard for me, though, was um, like in Montgomery, we can't go to certain restaurants. We can't if we're at a gas station, I can't get out of the car like things like I'm <clears throat> my social media is still private um we're both still single on Facebook after six years so those are like little things and then when we moved in together um even though his parents kind of knew that we were living together they obviously knew we were dating because my parents kept threatening them like that's how they found out but when we moved in together every time his family came to visit I would have to hide all my stuff in one room and leave so I would have to take pictures off the walls like really go to all of these extremes hide my stuff and then leave 
not because they didn't know, but because we didn't want to like rub it in their faces. We didn't want to talk about it until it was like really serious. And that's something that I didn't understand for a really long time because I'm not from the culture. Like I didn't understand why, (coughs) excuse me, I got my parents to be okay. Why can't you get your parents to be okay? And he's like, why would I want my mom to go through like that hurt before she has to? Like, you don't understand. This is against her religion. Like it's a wrong relationship. You can't expect her to like, like she, this is really going to hurt her. Like, why would you want to do that now? when we could wait until like we're gonna get married. And so like he did tell her that we were living together now. And that's kind of like we're on the mint now because ever since like we moved here, she would come visit here and I would leave. And I think she kind of like saw little glimpses of like who I am because she had never, like she didn't know me. She hated me. She really hated me. Said some horrible things about me that I heard from other people. And um, it's kind of understandable because the only picture she had of me was that I was this white girl who was taking her son away from his religion and his culture. And my parents were awful. Like they were threatening, like they were obviously toxic. Like she didn't want to have like that toxic family in her son's life. And so it's kind of understandable, but I'm glad that like now we're getting around because I think like what is kind of like, the band-aid on that is like cooking because like every time like she comes here I would leave food in the fridge for her to eat and then like it's like slowly like the last time I saw her to pick up Rubio's dog she gave me a hug and I was like how did this happen like the whole like I drove to Nashville after she gave me a hug and the entire time I was like what is going on like is this like after six years she suddenly just gave me a hug it was like literally a life-changing moment I was like is this going to be okay? Because I didn't know that she wasn't going to hate me forever. I didn't want that. Like, I don't want drama on both sides of my family. So it's it's getting better. But that was the um the main struggle with being in an interracial relationship was definitely, like, my family and his family and, like, <sighs> the clashes there. That's so interesting because I feel like, um, whereas – I feel like when you offer the dual perspective like that and then there's conflict on both ends, it's interesting to see the root of where it comes from, I guess, for both families. Um, and I, I definitely think that, again, every every family structure is different. Every family has different yeah. beliefs. So it's interesting to see how it kind of compounded into your relationship. Um, and, and how do you, I guess, how do you feel now? Because I'm sure like that had to have an impact on how you felt emotionally um, because it's hard and everyone wants their significant other's parents to like them I, and their family to like them. I think that just goes without saying. Um, so how do you yeah. feel, especially with this kind of breakthrough moment with the hug, um, et cetera? Yeah, I felt like for a really long time, I felt like he was like hiding me because I wasn't like good enough. And I was like, I always felt like I wasn't good enough. And so I think like that fueled me in like really trying, like I like learned how to like cook Bengali food. Like I'm doing all these things. Like my family, you know, my family, we ate junk. We never cooked at home. Like it was always like really, um, it was, there was never like that. I remember when um, ever your mom would take us anywhere she would have a little lunch box in the back seat with snacks and like it was so cute and I was like wow Michelle's mom is so extra but like it's so nice 
Rubio's mom will drive five hours to bring him a meal. Like, it's just how she is too. My family wasn't like that. And so like seeing that, I was like, okay, this is how I need to be. Like I was, it was just like not being, not feeling like I wasn't good enough made me like really try and like really like improve a lot of like those aspects of my life. Like, like the kind of like learning how to take care of people, not in the way that like my family took, takes care of their family members. But um, I feel like now after like I tried so hard and like I got to a place where even if Rubio's mom doesn't see it, even if like nobody sees it, I know that like I'm trying really hard. I'm not taking away from his culture. I'm not taking him away from his religion. Like I'm like forcing him to pray all the time. Like I know that I've got it. Like I'm good. And I didn't need like exterior validation. And um, so I had gotten to a point where it didn't bother me as much. Well, hiding my stuff bothered me because it was a huge inconvenience, but it didn't like hurt me. Whereas before, like everything hurt. But there was this one moment where I went to my friends. Um, her little brother had a graduation party and their family is Bengali too. And like the whole community came and I came and his mom was there. And the party had to end at nine o'clock. Everything had to be cleaned out. Whereas most Bengali parties end at like one in the morning, two in the morning. So I was, we were, my friend and I were like rapidly trying to clean up so that everybody could leave. They could, they wouldn't have to pay extra for the venue. So I was going around with a trash bag cleaning. And after the party, uh, Rube told me that his mom said, I was carrying around a garbage bag in front of her to make it look like I was helping, but I wasn't actually helping. And in that moment, I was like, it's not about me. It's not about what I'm doing. Like it has nothing to do with me. It's just her. And like, this is hard for her. This is how she's dealing with it by being mean to me. So it has nothing to do with me. And then it didn't hurt me anymore. And so that was about like two years ago, maybe. And so ever since then, I've just been kind of like nonchalant. I mean, I will be like, what'd she say about me? What'd she say about me? <laughs> Cause I want to know like what she's saying still, but it doesn't hurt as much. So I am, I'm so thrilled that we're like on the mend. Like when um, she hugged me, I was literally like crying the whole way back to Nashville cause I was so happy, but it wasn't like I needed it anymore. I didn't really need it anymore. I would have been fine if she never like came to terms with our relationship. Like it, it wouldn't have affected me as much as it would have two years ago. But I'm very happy, <laughs> to say the least. Yeah, absolutely. And how does, I guess, how does Rubaiyat feel? And I'm going to start calling him Rubaiyat since you said that he knows where we go. But how does he feel about your family? Um, he doesn't forgive them. And I don't expect him to. And honestly, I don't either. I literally, um, <laughs> I don't. I, I love them but they don't think they did anything wrong. And um, they kind of blame me for everything. Whereas like, I know I probably acted out, like I snuck around, but I was barely 15. Like when we started dating, I was 14 years old. And it it's not on me to keep the family from <laughs> spiraling into utter chaos. So I don't expect him to forgive them when I don't forgive them either. And it's like, it's not like anybody can expect for, like, you can't, like, if you do something to someone, you can't, like, expect, like, you're not entitled to their forgiveness. 
And um, my parents aren't entitled to reveal his forgiveness after everything they did to him. So um, he's uncomfortable. And I'm uncomfortable too. I know that like, if I'm being completely honest with the things that come out of my dad's mouth, my grandma's mouth about other people, my other grandparents, my dad's parents, I've heard what they say about other people. And so then when I'm with them, I'm like, what are they saying in their head or behind closed doors about me and Rubio? Like, I know it can't be good. And so I'm kind of uncomfortable sometimes when I'm with them because I'm like, what are they thinking? And it's really, I don't know, it's not a good situation to be in. Um, and so Rubio doesn't really want to spend a lot of time around them. But when I'm going for like holidays and stuff, I want him there. So sometimes he does it anyways, but he's not going to go out of his way to spend time with them. So that's how that is. I think that's totally fair, honestly, on both both ends mm-hmm. and both accounts. Um, and so now that you guys have been together for a very long time and you, uh, Rubio just started medical school, you are jumping into your career. Um, how do you, I guess, picture your future? What do you want your wedding to look like? I want to go. So (laughs) give me all the details. Oh, you'll be there. (laughs) Um, yeah, yeah. Our future. I don't know. It's just, I want, I definitely don't want to have like, like that thing where you jump the gun, do things too early and then you can't like have like what you wanted. Like I want a nice wedding. So I'm going to wait and be patient until we have the money for it. But yeah, I'm not sure how we're going to, like, mix the two together in terms of the wedding, like, the white wedding, the Bengali wedding. It might be mainly the Bengali wedding because, like, I don't know. Like, how, I, the, like, I was talking about it. We can have, like, the white part and then, like, the other parts. Okay, it's already four days. And then do you say I do twice? Like, how do people do that? Like, that's weird, right? So it's still to be determined how we're going to mix the two. But, yeah, we're just like live in life until then you know the future is a long road for Rubert on his way to becoming a doctor so (laughs) he's gonna be stressed for a while but yeah we'll figure it out when the time comes I guess I don't know for sure and I feel like you guys have figured out everything thus far so I think yeah I will predict (laughs) that it will be okay Um, And so I feel like, honestly, your experiences are super unique. I think you have had a lot of different transformative and sort of metamorphosis-like experiences. Um, (laughs) So I am super happy to get the chance to talk to you about all of it today. Um, But I did want to know if there was anything that you wanted to leave for the audience or any messages or anything like that um, that you've picked up over time. Yeah, I guess the main thing is, like, what I tell my sister, because I know she saw, like, everything that I went through, and, like, she's probably really scared to go out on a limb and, like, break the mold of what my parents expect from her in terms of dating, so I just say, like, you just have to follow, like, your heart and what's best for you, and don't worry about anything else, because at the end of the day, like, your conscience and, like, your opinions and your, like, like, that's all that matters. You... I mean, if people thought for themselves and didn't just blindly follow their families, the world would probably look a lot different today. So I think just you do you. That's my message. Yeah, no exaggeration for that. Um, I think we've seen plenty of of people kind of fall into the trap of just going with what their parents say. So I think that Mm -hmm. it is definitely important to carve your own path. Of course, like, 
I think that you can respect your family, respect their wishes, respect their values, and the same time define yourself as a person mm-hmm. and what you want. Um, yeah. yeah. So thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for sharing all of this because I know that some of it is definitely emotionally heavy. <laughs> again, all of it um, I think is is so crucial and pivotal to hear. So I'm super appreciative of that. Um, and also thank you so much to anyone who is listening. Uh, I always love hearing feedback and love hearing what y'all have to say. So thank you so much. And wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I hope that you have a fantastic rest of your day. Bye.